my God. This is not the 12th century, Amy. It, it was all of that and more. Really? I, I was in a lockdown office way in the middle of the booties really? and nobody can get in there. No. <laughs> really? I mean, no, you are so gullible, I'm Amy. So gullible. You're so gullible. <laughs> David. Yo, Amy. See, I said, yo, Amy. <laughs> so I have I have a food thing I want to share with you this week. Okay. So I baked apples a couple days ago. So of I had some being left- the apple lady that you are. Yeah, the apple lady. Pro tip, use pink lady or jazz apples for baking apples because they stay pink mm. in the oven. You know, some apples turn brown and it's yeah. kind of an ugly presentation. Yeah. Jazz yeah. and pink lady keep their color longer. So really? I, I was baking some pink ladies. You know, I've often been called the pink lady. So I was thinking uh, last night I want a little something sweet and I thought Mm -hmm. I've got those apples in the fridge but I'm not really in the mood for baked apple I want apple crisp so I did a skillet kind of crumble oh that's nice I put some yeah some oats flour brown sugar cinnamon and butter in a skillet Mm -hmm. and just cooked it up until it was toasty I added a little water to soften the oats first but then it got crisp and I sprinkled it over the baked apples and I had sort of an instant apple crisp. It's interesting you say that because I have a recipe on the site for tomato and goat cheese cobbler, I guess if you will, and it's done in a skillet and you have tomatoes and sometimes I'll put onions in there and thyme, but you make Mm -hmm. biscuits, you know, like buttermilk biscuits Mm -hmm. and you dot them on top and they're savory and they just puff up and then all of the tomatoes get very jammy. And like, we're just getting to like the last little bit of the tomatoes. And we had it not too long ago. So it reminded me when you were saying you're making your skillet crisp, I thought of our skillet cobbler for tomatoes. So mm, it's it's that kind of weather. Isn't it nice? I just like it when it gets cold and you start to turn inward. Yeah, I do like that feeling. I I hold on to summer as long as possible, but then... When mm. I finally, when apple season comes around, I That's make a good change. And yeah, <laughs> goodbye until next I'm year. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of biscuits, we mm. have a real biscuit expert today, a real Southern baker. Oh, a real Southern baker. It is Brian Noyes, who is the founder, owner, baker at the Red Truck Bakery in Marshall, Virginia. He also has two locations, too. And the author of the Red Truck Bakery Farmhouse Cookbook. Which is his second book. The first one was the Red Truck Bakery Cookbook, which is just wonderful. It was a great interview, so take a listen. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thanks very much for having me on. Before we go any further, I just want to thank you. You sent us each these boxes filled with the most delicious baked goods, it was like Christmas morning in my house. We got, <laughs> yes, it we was. got granola and this amazing cake with bourbon. It was Which, so yeah, good. We'll talk about later, but yes, thank you so much for those treats. They were just amazing. Well, you bet. I got a nice note from your UPS guy thanking me for those cheddar biscuits. Oh, the one <laughs> I see, the ones that were meant for me that I never got. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, it was all delicious. And uh, so we thank you very much. And so let's talk about the iconic red truck. So everything sort of started with this red pickup with quite a provenance. Can you talk about how you got the truck and from whom you got it and how it launched 1,000 cakes and pies? My previous life, before being a baker, had 
I was an art director for the Washington Post and Smithsonian magazines. Mm -hmm. We bought a farmhouse out in the boonies of Virginia. Ever an art director, I knew it needed an old red farm truck out there. So I searched <laughs> online and found this stellar 1954 Ford F100 and mm. cherry red. Cherry red. And it was a motorsports company in New York that was selling it. Uh, I was vetted, turned over to the owner who happened to be Tommy Hilfiger. And, uh, <laughs> Isn't that wild? Tommy Hilfiger. That's I know, so on brand. There's all these names that pop up just out of the blue through my history here. And um, he, he trailered it down to me, parked out in front of the farmhouse, and then it turned out to be the delivery vehicle as I baked on set Friday nights and delivered Saturday mornings to a little farm store. And that kind of gave it the name. It told us what it wanted to be called. Wow. <laughs> so you worked all week at the Washington Post. Then you cooked right. all that night to deliver Saturday morning. That's Herculean. And what year are we talking about here? That was around uh, 2007 through 2000. Oh, he was um, 22 and 23. So. That's fine. Yeah, he was young. <laughs> I feel like it. I don't move like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I took it to a country store nearby. I had the key. I knew where to uh, put the stuff. And it was all there before they opened. And pretty soon mm. I'd go back, you know, the next Saturday and there were people in the parking lot waiting for the red truck to show up before that food oh. got inside. And uh, it just kind of took off. Okay, so how did you go from that being kind of a cottage business to a brick-and-mortar bakery? It was a passion of mine. I went through the CIA. In D.C., I have to say the other CIA. <laughs> That's right, it's true. <laughs> the, the Cafe Breads and Pastries and French Pastries Program. And, and also L'Academie des Cuisines outside of D.C., which was mm. so well missed, but launched by uh, Roland Messnier, who was a White House pastry chef. So mm -hmm. I, I learned yes. so much there. So I did take classes. It was a passion. Marion Burroughs of the New York Times happened mm -hmm. to get some of our yeah. goods at a picnic out near Aww. us and sent me a note asking if I wouldn't mind if she wrote a story about us for the uh, food section of the New York Times. And wow. my response was, duh. And <laughs> Please, Marion, no, don't write about us. Thank you, but no. Yes, yes I, I can't handle the 24 hits on my website I get every day right, <laughs> right. now. And her, her story came out on the front page of the food section, the New York Times, the second week of December, and my website oh, hits that day were 57,000. Wow, um, and that's perfect wow. timing too. Yeah, yeah. So Dwight stayed home. We baked, packed, and boxed. And the mailman drove up to the house, scratched his head over the 100 boxes sitting on the front <laughs> porch. And I said, man, yeah. that's just what doesn't fit inside the house. And oh, um, wow. that was kind of a clue to start a bakery. That's incredible. So where did the recipes come? for the bakery and your baked goods? For all the training I went through, there were other courses as well that I took, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm just kind of a, a rustic guy. I didn't I don't like fancy, mm -hmm. fussy pastries. So it's it's crustatas that are just folded over fruit mm. or something like that. There's so much family food in what we do. Um, so many of the recipes come from my grandmother. She, I grew up in California. Yeah. She's in North Carolina, and she taught me to cook Southern. So mm -hmm. after she died, I took just her recipe book and files and her little enamel mixing bowl that we learned to bake together in. Mm. 
you have this familial bond and you also have ideas about community that we both found really interesting and special. You don't see your business as this vertical singular institution, but as part of a web of other businesses that form a community. Can you talk some more about that? I worked at Preservation Magazine for a while for the National Trust, so I knew I didn't want my bakery in a, next door to a nail salon in a strip center on the bypass, but right. I signed a lease on a 1921 SO service station right next to the county courthouse. Oh, and great. Yeah, and within wow. you know a year or so, we knew we were out of space, so we eventually signed a second lease on a, a former pharmacy and Masonic Lodge 20 minutes north in the town of Marshall, and it's mm-hmm. on Main Street. Nearly everything was boarded up. I was a little scared when the family-run grocery store of 50 years closed down the day Mm. I signed the lease. Uh, The bank next door to us was shuttered. But we renovated, we opened as a bakery, and we had a line out the door. And within a year, we had a butcher shop across the street, a farm-to-table restaurant. Oh, my God. Um, And then even a guy with a double-decker red bus showed up, (laughs) parked it in a a parking lot, and now he he grills on the first floor and serves on the second. Oh, that's cool. So it created this whole food renaissance of the town. So we're all really tight. So there's our community. In the shooting of the cookbook, I did shoot it at my farmhouse where the bakery launched, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's full of Southern primitive folk art, a lot of North Carolina Mm -hmm. pottery, Mm -hmm. and you may be referring to the our community of artisans in the back. Yes. And we kind of list the guys that make the pots. One of them was commissioned for the cookbook, but otherwise they're just little supporting actors throughout the cookbook itself. And some of the artwork in the photographs, there was one I saw of a painting and you showed, you talked about the artist in that painting? There are several of those. This was a guy named Woody Long, who was a great South Alabama, North Florida artist. Mm-hmm. Very primitive, lots of wavy lines in motion, bright colors. And he did a lot of the artwork for our original bakery. And so that's all over the place. And now we have several pieces in the new store, plus all over our farmhouse. That's great. Now, speaking of community, you have a really fervent, may I say, even rabid customer base. (laughs) Now, not just in Virginia, but all over the country. How much does their undying ardor for what you have and their feedback influence what you do? Do you kind of listen to them? Is that a good barometer? I have no choice. They are very vocal. (laughs) And and boy, if if a muffin arrives at their house that's unlike the muffin that arrived at their house last (laughs) week. I mean, I I listen to them and and every bit of communication to the bakery comes to my email box. So I see everything. Mm -hmm. Nobody sees anything. So I might send it off to other people. But that base nationwide is what kept us going through the pandemic. Mm, And I I treat them really well. I didn't even expect that. We had to close the store, but leave a window open and then devise a new website to uh, carry things to a back parking lot. So Mm -hmm. we were able to handle our local guys. But Mm -hmm. what we didn't expect was that people across America who already knew about us knew where they could get good food without having to get out of their pajamas and get into their car because mm-hmm. nobody wanted to leave. Yeah, and, absolutely not. You know, at one point I was thinking, boy, are we going to have to lay some staff off as I was seeing what was happening with restaurants? And we could be the only business around that was adding staffers to keep up wow. with the demand. I mean, we were wow, shipping even in, in June or July or August numbers that we would normally send the week before Christmas. So thank you very much to all those folks and I'll keep listening. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you're listening not just to regular folks like us, but some really powerful people and one particularly eagleish one, which has been Barack Obama. Um, how did that come about? So I left my job, cashed in my savings, opened a bakery and hired three staffers. I had two small time investors and we were ready mm -hmm. to roll. And then the Great Recession hit and they fled and I was worried. And it was just as the Obama administration was coming in and I thought, well, if anybody's gonna make this work, it's these mm. guys. So sleepless nights still led to kind of this bright light down at the end of the tunnel and I stuck with them. So it did work. We had a second location, 50 employees now shipping thousands of things. Our first year that we had both stores going on our first Christmas just exhausted all of us. We all looked at each other at the bakery the beginning of January afterwards and said, what just <laughs> happened? And it was Obama's last year in office. And I, I wrote a letter and I said, look, and, and told him what I just told you. And you never think anybody's ever gonna read those things. But within a month on Valentine's Day weekend, a hand-delivered letter showed up from the White House. No. I wasn't at the bakery then, I left and I got a call from my store manager. She said, somebody from the White House just came by with a letter for you. I said, well, I'll look at it Monday. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah. and she was I'm right. Busy. I mean, it was a thank you letter, very nice, addressing exactly what I wrote him, his big signature at the bottom. And we didn't know who brought it. And then I got an email from Cody Keenan, who is Obama's chief speechwriter. And he said, hey, I'm the guy that dropped it by, was on my way to the inn at Little Washington for Valentine's Day with my fiance. And I thought I'd grab a moonshine cake for my staff as I dropped off that mm -hmm. note and pick up a pecan pie for the president. I wrote him back. I said, thank you very much. We needed to know how this came about. And what you should have done was taken our sweet potato pecan pie with bourbon. <laughs> Within 10 minutes, he sends back just three words in an email. POTUS says yes. Oh, oh that's great. <laughs> so, so I baked. We had a little drop-off spot nearby, and he ended up with our pies. And Cody wrote us back and said he loved it. He wants to do a whole salute to you on Pie Day 3.14. Oh, oh my god! Wow. So that was that was a month away. His last words were, "Beef up your website." <laughs> and uh, but Pie Day came and nearly went. And you know, by by two o'clock in the afternoon, I just sent a note back to Cody. We were all ready for it. I said, boy, is this thing going to happen? He says, let me check. And he writes right back. He says, yes, it's going to happen at 3.14 p.m. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. And it did. And it was crazy. And it was an administration with a sense of humor. <laughs> we just, that we is an wow. awesome story. That is Do amazing. That's the long way to say that we get pies to his office every pie day uh. and then to his family for Thanksgiving. Oh, that's now, amazing. When you're baking for a president in your bakery, not in the White House, I imagine there's some level of security, right? Like, did they were they, they were probably running background checks on you? Maybe there was like a, a taster to make sure that you were in a oh secret. God. This is not the 12th century, Amy. <laughs> it, it was all of that and more. Really, I, I was in a lockdown office, way in the middle of the really? and nobody can get in it. Uh, no. Not really. I mean, no, you are so gullible, I'm Amy. So gullible. You're so gullible. <laughs> no, no, nobody said a word. You know, it, I mean, we're a bakery, and we're you know they just assume that stuff's coming off the shelves. But we really took care, and you know, Obama's sweet potato bourbon pecan pie. The pecans laid out in yes. a circle, in <laughs> rows, all the way around. We can't 
spend that kind of time on the other one. So he posted a picture once that Pete Souza took of him enjoying our pie. And there it was. So Aww. with concentric circles of pecans. So that's, I have to do that every year for him. So, so there is a particular pie that goes his way, but you know, it gets dropped elsewhere and it goes right to him. Oh, wow. You've been talking a lot about booze with the bourbon and Obama's pie. So let's talk about booze. You like booze. You bake a lot with booze. What's the attraction? <laughs> I would like to say this is my favorite subject, and I'm glad you brought it up. But I, I'm not that kind of a guy. But Dwight's choir director, 90-something years old in North Carolina, always made sure that there was a rum cake waiting for him when he came home at mm. Christmas. And then I came home for Christmas, and I loved it. And we got the recipe from her. And I thought, boy, if I ever make open a bakery, I'm having this. Mm. And so I did, and we do. And that kind of led to immediately, since we're in Virginia, double chocolate moonshine cake. Right. And then we have bourbon cakes. A woman drove up, bought the rum cake. She told us she was going to a church meeting. And we cut it all up for her in however many slices she wanted. It went back in the box. She took off, drove around the block, screeched back in our parking lot and said, oh my God, does your rum cake have rum in it? I'm going to an AA meeting. And so we gave her instead a sour cream coffee cake, but she did not leave the rum cake behind. Oh, so we got this reputation as the bakery with a drinking problem, but we prefer to think of ourselves as the bakery that likes to party. And uh, we now work with local distilleries. Right up the road from us is a distillery that makes amaretto, so that goes in our almond cake. Mm. And further up is Catoctin Creek Distillery, which makes a, an Applejack brandy for us for our Applejack pecan cake. Oh, my cake. God. Now, I should back up and say you've referred to Dwight a couple times in this chat, and Dwight is your spouse and business partner. He's a residential architect. He also designed both stores. Wow. They look very art-directed with a residential architecture accent to it. And so uh, we kind of designed the hell out of the place. Nice. Okay, so going back to the booze, because, you know... Because you know, we like for, booze. <laughs> we like it. If for listeners who do want to bake with it, what are some of the do's and don'ts of boozy baking? You know, how do you get the right level without, like, immolating yourself? Um <laughs> Yeah, that is a problem. I keep losing <laughs> cooks in the back. <laughs> Immolating themselves. What's, what's burning? <laughs> well, it's an easy thing. I mean, it's everything's kind of formulated. There's a lot of experimentation. Pretty much it's like, okay, this is how much liquid has to go in this cake. And I just kind of scale back whatever else mm -hmm. it is. Like our caramel pecan cake. I um, got that. Yeah, I like juicing that thing up with apple juice. So Wait a minute, wait um, a minute, wait a minute. You know, Amy, you got a caramel pecan I, I did. Oh, you did not get the same thing. I'm sorry to say. I got that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you jealous? Yeah, a okay, little. Okay, we'll, we'll fix you. <laughs> but but actually, you, you might like its bigger brother, which is our caramel pecan cake with apple jack. So, um, so, you know, I took out the apple juice, put in the apple, apple jack. jack, the apple brandy, and that, you know, it equals out. But we know how thin that batter should be or even mm -hmm. thick, so it, we know when there's too much booze, and that's just a problem everybody loves. Now, that, this actually is a cooking question because 
alcohol doesn't necessarily fully cook out when you bake right. it. So if you are avoiding alcohol, it is an issue. It, it is because in a lot of cases, we're then brushing more booze onto right. the right. cake. It's this great natural preservative. So, I mean, since we're shipping to California or Hawaii, let's make this thing as moist and long living as yeah. possible. So if there's an event down the road and it's a few days off, uh, I always suggest the booze cakes. So you yeah. wouldn't burn off the alcohol on the stove and then use that. You actually use it full stop, right? All of it. You probably wouldn't be as happy with that <laughs> if that was the All case. Right. I mean, if you open it up, open up that wrapper, it yes, you, you do. get it. So I'm kind of wondering about that. I've been told by neighbors that their 12-year-old daughter loves our rum cake, and that's what she requests for her birthday every year. And I always say, well, you know, it's not all burned off. She says, oh, that's fine. It keeps her quiet. <laughs> and knocks her out halfway through a birthday party. <laughs> well, All one the of the kids cakes... are clamoring for an invitation to her birthday party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My uh, parents are out of town and I have a cake. <laughs> one of the cakes that you sent me was the Lexington bourbon cake, which is in the book. Now, can you talk about the creation of that? Is that the one that you had with Dwight's choir master? No, that was the rum cake. The bourbon cake came out of a Southern Foodways Alliance conference in Lexington, Kentucky that was sponsored by Visit Lex, the Lexington Tourist Bureau. And they just happened to serve my favorite drink, which is bourbon and mm -hmm. ginger. So I just said, this is gonna turn into a cake. So I named it after them. It's our Lexington bourbon Got cake. It. it has fresh yes. ginger, crystallized ginger, ginger root yes. soda, uh, lots of bourbon. And in the, in the glaze is bourbon, sugar, and ghost peppers, which kind of does this little echo of the bite of the ginger root It inside. is marvelous, just marvelous. Did you get that one, Amy? I did not. Uh -huh. But I maybe I'll make it. Maybe. I'll make Am it. I going to have to break you two up? <laughs> you may have to. You may have to send the other what the other one got. <laughs> one thing I should say is that right now we're in the middle of making our Havana fruit cakes, and that's full of rum. And we started making those in August, and we we need to finish by the beginning of October because it has to sit for several months in right. rum, and we keep brushing rum. So. That's almost a fireball when you unwrap the plastic. <laughs> now, I actually have a question about a Southern cake that I grew up with. My family member had Virginia roots and her mother would send up a friendship cake every year and it was yeasted. So you take a bit of the yeast from last year's cake. Some oh. I, I, I was a child, so I didn't write it down. I just, the story I remember is... Somebody would share their yeast, their starter with you. And then, you know, the cake was full of like fruit, nuts, dried fruit, and then it had a lot of booze. Do you know anything about a tradition of like a yeasted fruit cake that is sort of a community event where you share the base, the starter, and then you cover it with booze? I know nothing about this cake, and I'm going to hound you for more <laughs> okay. information on this because I... Well, I, I'm kind of working on a, a third project about heirloom and heritage desserts and those kind of things, long lost things that once the Swedish grandmother dies, right. nobody knows how to yeah. make the Stalin or something. Or And that's exactly the kind of thing I want in there. So um, you're going to be- All right. I'm going to call Andrea and ask her about it because it was her mom that made okay. it. Okay, because I need to know about that. I love those kind of ideas, and that, that might even be the cover. It's, it's <laughs> wow. like epitomizes the Ooh, new wow. delicious. Amy. There I was like getting drunk. Cover girl. <laughs> and I wanted to be the cover girl, damn it. <laughs> David, you are... <laughs> 
<laughs> you practice gratitude. <laughs> yeah, I keep hearing that from the one. He keeps saying that to me. Practice gratitude. I'm just an envious little thing. <laughs> I love you. All right. So, uh, another cake that I got. Did you get the honeysuckle and sweet tea cake, Amy? No, I did not. Okay. And I I'm did. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm just very grateful for the one I got. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> no, it. No. This this was a long work in progress. Yes, um, that's what I want to ask you. Three years to crack. Not full on, but on and off. I wanted the perfect southern name mm. cake. So I came up with honeysuckle and sweet tea. I had the name before I mm. had the cake. But I thought, okay, that's the ultimate southern treat. So I played with honeysuckle for a while. We have this big honeysuckle bush at the back of our parking lot. And I'd love for everybody to think that we send the staff out on their lunch hour and, and just pick the little pistols and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and drain it. But I think there's some happy hands somewhere in the world that are doing that for us. I found a great source for a real natural honeysuckle extract. That was the biggest part was just finding something that tasted real and not chemically. The first few attempts tasted mm. like I was eating soap or mm -hmm. a candle. I got the honeysuckle down, but then I had to marry the sweet tea, and that instantly muddied everything I'd already wow. come up with. So it took some more work. Like, do I use tea leaves? Do I brew the wow. tea? Do I use a tea syrup? And it just finally worked out. There's a little bit of ginger in there as well and some honey. And it's still a really kind of subtle Very subtle, very cake, delicate. But very, very, very lovely and very delicate. What kind of tea did you use? We had a bet going on. Earl Grey is what I said. I'm an Earl Grey I guy. Love I Earl don't Grey. love coffee. I, I I drink Earl Grey. God, we we just got to get together. I in person. know. <laughs> All right. Well, until we're together in person, these are the recipes from your new book that I want to make. Stop buttering them up. I know, but they. It, I. She does want the honeysuckle cake. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Okay, peach hand pies. Hello. Mm. Your cornbread, you know, I always, like if a Southerner is offering you a cornbread recipe, you got to listen. I loved the fried green tomato sandwiches with pimento cheese, especially because I've got some green tomatoes right now on my vines, and I don't know if they're going to get to red. So now I have a contingency plan. <laughs> and then uh, the salted caramel apple pie. Yes. Because I'm an apple gal. And then the last one that I'm really, the oh God, the Atlantic beach pie. By Bill Smith of Crook's Corner, founded by Bill Neal. That's his recipe, and he's, uh. he's uber famous for it. So he worked with me on this, and I'm so glad it's in the cookbook. I introduced it at the bakery. I posted all about it on social media, and people were showing up before we opened because they wanted mm. that pie that they never even had heard of five minutes before. You know, you, you tell them what to yeah. buy, and they line up. And, and yeah. So it's kind of like happy. a key lime pie, but made with saltines in the crust, right? Saltine crackers as the crust. And there's also lemon wow, yeah. in there right. with the lime. God, that looks so it's good. It's really good. He, he's, mm. he's a master. So what are some of the other highlights? Like what, what are uh, the kind of go-to greatest hits recipes in the book that people should try? Green tomatoes, which are actually in the first book, I did a green tomato pie, and it was great. But I got comments like, okay, but what about real tomatoes? <laughs> Big, red, ripe, juicy. So that, yeah, yeah. So that didn't quite work because they're so juicy. So I reformulated. It's in the new book. It's called Our Mid-July Tomato Pie. And that mm -hmm. gets a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. The new cookbook is has a lot of savory items. I wrote this at the farmhouse during the pandemic when our local farmers 
couldn't sell their their produce right, anywhere because right. nobody was leaving. So I thought, okay, this has to be a salute to them and celebrate what we get from them in in our area, just off of the Shenandoah Valley. So the new pie is mid July tomato pie. There's a shrimp and okra and tomato and corn stew mm. in there, which is is really stew, good. Yeah. And and that's the thing to just go to the farmer's market and fill up a basket and come home and make that. I love roasted carrots. I can never yeah, leave, leave well enough alone. So it's roasted carrots with olive oil, with rosemary, fresh rosemary chopped, but also with some harissa to give it a little bite. Sounds good. There are, I mean, also roast chicken with guava and pineapple. Where mm, did that mm. come from? I saw something like that in Eating Well magazine, and then I just said, I'm going to take this a step further. And there's a good amount of cumin in there and some roasted fruit. But guava, I don't think people really enjoy and celebrate guava enough. I, yeah. I, I don't like mango. Everybody trots out mango. But guava is this kind of richy, kind of cherry, tropical mm-hmm. taste. And yeah. it's, when yeah. cooked down, it's so, so concentrated. And that just makes an incredible roasted chicken. My husband's a Miami native, so I'm going to take that recipe with me next time we go down there, get guavas at the farmer's market, and have a field day. Yeah, yeah, go for that. I mean, anybody can find guava paste in uh, yeah. the International yes. Aisle or a Mexican grocery. It's, mm-hmm. it's right. everywhere. It's in Safeway. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it is time now for our special trademarked lightning round. <laughs> this is your chop-chop round, Brian Noise. <laughs> <laughs> this this is when I get frightened. What's your go-to meal to make when you're dead tired? Dead tired, I cook up Italian sausage, peppers, and onions. That's that's nice. the quickest <laughs> thing. But, you know, uh, if I've stolen some focaccia dough from the bakery, uh, I'll pull it out of the freezer and do a potato and rosemary flatbread with pesto. Mm. Mm, nice. Lovely. What is your best time-saving trick in the kitchen? I do everything in the sink. I chop down in there in a chopping board. I have my mixing bowls in there. That's where the mess is made. And I pull the stuff out and I hose it down. Wow. It's the, the counters are it a mess. It is. I mean, truly. How big is your sink? You it's have tiny. a really, really big sink? No, no, no. Really? It's, just, it's, a, it's a one basin sink, so it's a little bit bigger. But And you put a right, cutting right. board in the bottom of the sink and chop? And you- well, I mean, it leans down the side and then oh. I hate messes and then every mess gets on everything else. And this way, if I if I do all I can in the sink, time saving. Oh, well, we are never going to cook with you because both of us are slobs in the kitchen. <laughs> we, we just revealed last week that we are very sloppy. Chop, chop. <laughs> we were talking with our husbands, each other's husbands. And yeah, we're slobs. We, we're very not neat <laughs> in the kitchen. I'm working on it, but yeah, it's a long way to go. Well, Dwight's a good cleanup guy. I must say that. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite food, TV show, or movie? Um, well, I, I really do love Top Chef, and I now know many of those folks. Carla Hall's a, a good buddy of mine. She oh, wrote a yeah. nice blurb for the book, mm. and she kind of started it off for me. I mean, can anybody... After her live up to her wackiness, I doubt it. But I I do love that show, and it's way above everything else. Okay. What is your most beaten up cookbook? Truly, Joy of Cooking. And then James Beard, Beard on Bread. Beard on Bread. That's that's the book that my uncle and I worked through in, in Florida as we kept working on breads, and it's now in my collection. And it's full of his notes and all the wheat, bread batter that, and dough that didn't make it into the sink. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, how about your greatest faux pas in the kitchen? Oh, my God. If my mom was still around, she would tell you. I mean, I at this point, I had two bakeries. I went home to California. She wanted something. I had to mix her out. And she walked in just as I was trying to get my fingers out of all the, the beaters that oh. were still, like, in motion. Oh, my God. And she just, she walks over, oh, pulls gosh. out the plug, looks at me and says, well, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last best thing you ate? I ordered last night Mexican from some good friend's restaurant, and it was a chicken mole uh, enchilada. Mm. Mm. Oh, that sounds so good. All right. How about the most, this might be fighting words, but yeah. most underrated and overrated Southern dishes? Okra's killer. And um, mm -hmm. as a California boy going to North Carolina, my grandmother sent me down in a, a meat and three diner and that was on the menu. And I didn't know what it was. And I said, right. you, you just got to order for me. But, you know, she, she taught me to, to enjoy okra. God, I just came back from Miller Union in Atlanta. And the starter were these finger-long battered and lightly fried okra spears. And I'm still thinking mm. about it. That's the only thing I posted from the most incredible meal. And I'm, oh. I'm still thinking about it. Wow. Yeah, fried okra. I have had poorly prepared okra and I think that'll turn people off for life but when you get a nice crispy I just have a harder time with the stewed okra and if you have any tips for like dealing with the mucus you know well you know when you fry it I think that eliminates the the, right. the goopiness um, yeah but it does have its value there's a Brunswick stew in the in the mm -hmm. cookbook and mm -hmm. okra is a vital part of it because it thickens right. it I mean it, yeah. you won't think you're eating you know, a mucusy, gluey thing. Right, it's, right. Oh, God, it's so gross. I know. I, I was trying to pull back on that, but... <laughs> that word. You had to use the <laughs> sorry, word mucus, didn't you? I know. You? I'm sorry. <laughs> didn't you, Amy? <laughs> when it's poorly prepared, but when it's good, it's great. Uh, and it's mostly great. All right. So you, you're saying that that could be both underrated and overrated. And we want that. the dirt, though. What's the most overrated? We want the real dirt. We want you to be at war with your neighbors yes, when this exactly. is over. Oh my God, without hesitation, mm -hmm. it is red velvet cake. And <gasps> it's, yes. so no, many people absolutely. want that for their wedding oh. or their, for their kid's birthday party in cupcake form. I don't like it. I don't like making it. Yeah. I hate hearing about it. And I the just taste. think for all that work, That's... it's just like, I know it's like this tinny little thing. And then, yeah. you know, I try not to use food coloring in anything. And right. I mean, I got to make three runs to Safeway to make that cake look right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, you, you can use beets, which I would love to do, but that just freaks people out. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Oh, that damn steel magnolias. If it weren't for steel magnolias, <laughs> there wouldn't be this nationwide thing for red velvet cake. But, but we would have lost the phrase blush and bashful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that truth. Well, Brian, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. We really appreciate it. it. We appreciate all the wonderful gifts that you sent us. Yeah. And we hope that you'll come on the show again soon with the new book and your new project that has been sparked by Amy's idea. All right. <laughs> yes, I'm going to email you with, with what I learn about that recipe. Okay, well, you're the cover girl, but we'll have a centerfold for you, David. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love Thank it. you. <laughs> 
Brian Noyes is the founder of the Red Truck Bakery in Marshall and Warrington, Virginia. He's the author of the brand new Red Truck Bakery Farmhouse Cookbook. You can find Brian in the bakery on Instagram at Red Truck Bakery. And remember, they ship all over the country, so order for the holidays. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Overt Studios, and our producer is the gentlemanly Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. Remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As always, if you like what you hear and you want to support us, please consider leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Ciao. Bye, David. You won't think you're eating, you know, a mucousy, gluey thing. Right, it's, right. Oh, God, it's so gross. I know. I, I was trying to pull back on that, but... <laughs> that word. You had to use the <laughs> sorry, word mucus, didn't you? Sorry, I know. I know. You? I'm sorry.